All right, thank you, Disciple Now Praise team. That was great, and good to see a good group of uh, teens up here in the front. That is wonderful to see uh, just the work Kyle and all you sponsors are doing. We're just thrilled with uh, the impact it's having on our teens, and just good to see you in church. It's great. Um, I know I probably got half a crowd here mad and a half a crowd here happy. Who's the UNC crowd? Is there a Duke crowd here? <laughs> oh, be tough to preach after that, I'll tell you that right now. But um, anyways, enjoy, <laughs> enjoyed that. And listen, I thank Jason for his message last Sunday. Uh, I went and listened to that this week, and that was wonderful, just a great charge. I know he loves to preach whenever he gets the opportunity, so does Kyle, and so I'm trying to give him more opportunities. One, I'm getting older, and I kind of like the opportunity to have him preach, so it's good. But uh, I was out of town, and um, just so grateful for their commitment and their love for the Lord and their desire to want to be uh, pastors full-time one day. I think that's going to happen to both of them personally, but I don't know for sure. But uh, anyways, I really trust those two, and I'm thankful that he could preach this last Sunday. So thank you for that, Jace. We appreciate that. All right, take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. All the messages I'm preaching over the next few weeks, except maybe an Easter message, I'm going to uh, be doing off of messages that I've been thinking about over the last year with Hebrews, and so I just kind of tucked them away and uh, wanted to uh, come back and share them, and this is one of those today. I've entitled it Selective Amnesia, Selective Amnesia, and it's a passage that um, spoke to my heart, and I hope it'll speak to your heart this morning as well. Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. Stand with me now as I read. I think I'll stop in verse 7. 1 to 7. Here we go. Follow along. Then they set out from Elam, and the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, Evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? You may be seated. If you've never read any Paul David Tripp's books, they're excellent. Paul David Tripp. And uh, he has a devotional called New Morning Mercies, a daily gospel devotional. And this daily devotional is... I took one of his days, and I want to start with this daily devotional. So I want to focus on this and have you hear this devotion this morning, and then we'll jump into the message. Imagine that I decided to take my family to Walt Disney World in about a year's time. 
And imagine that I sat down at the computer with my children and showed them the multifaceted sights and sounds and glories of Disney. Imagine further that through the year, as the children lost sight of what was to come and complained about the sacrifices we were having to make, I took them back to the Disney website over and over again to remind them of the unparalleled entertainment glories that are only ever found there. Imagine now that we finally load ourselves in the car and begin the long trip to this glorious place. Imagine our children getting impatient and wondering how long will it be before we are actually at Disney. And imagine that after many long hours of travel, we are coursing our way down the highway in Florida and we see a sign that says, Walt Disney World, 120 miles. Now, imagine that I park beside this sign and we have our whole vacation right there. You would think that I've lost my mind, yet millions of people do that every day. Confused? Permit me to explain. There's one thing that you know for sure. The sign is not the thing. The sign was created to point you to the thing. It cannot give you what the thing can deliver. The sign can only point you to where the thing can be found. The sign pointing to Walt Disney World will not ever give you what Walt Disney World can. So it is with the physical glories of this world. Here's what you need to understand. There's only two types of glories that exist. There's sign glory and ultimate glory. Sign glory is all the wondrous displays of sights and sounds and colors and textures and tastes and smells and experience of this physical world that God created. These glories were not designed to satisfy your heart. They were not made to give you contentment, peace, meaning, and purpose. They have no capacity to give you life. Earth will never be your savior. Rather, all creation was designed to be one big sign that points you to the one of the ultimate glory who alone has the power to give you life and to satisfy your heart. God alone is able to give you life. He alone is able to give rest to your searching heart. He designed his world to point to him to not replace him. It is really true and is it really true for you that your heart will only ever be satisfied when it finds its satisfaction in Jesus Christ? I love that devotion. I think it captures everything I want to say here today, and that's why I started out with it. And as I get into this message today, there's some things. This is just going to be a very simple, practical message that I've been thinking about for six months that I wanted to share with you and bring to you today. And so I want to start by saying this in my message today. God's people are always privileged. God's people are always privileged. When you compare God's people in the New Testament to God's people in the Old Testament, which is what I did in this study today, what was the privilege of the children of Israel? What was their privilege? They had privileges we never had. They had the privilege of coming out of Egypt, of crossing the Red Sea, and going across on dry land. The great calling out the great snatching out of darkness, the great separation that God made from the enemy because God heard their cry. He cleaned up their mess. 
He gave them an opportunity and a means of escape to bring them out of their heartache, to bring them out of their pain, to bring them out of their disappointment, their bondage, their brokenness. He heard them. He heard them. He saved them out of an impossible situation. And you know how he did it? He did it with a lamb. He did it with a lamb. He did it with the blood of that lamb. That lamb would have to be sacrificed. So the death angel could say, I can't touch that house because the people who live there are covered by the blood. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, I get excited about that as a New Testament believer, about the privileges of the blood and that God delivers me from sin. Now, in the Old Testament, the crossing of the Red Sea was their Calvary. That was their Old Testament Calvary when they crossed the Red Sea. And they were saved and they came through the Red Sea to the other side and they watched as God drowned all of their enemies. And God looked at them and said, the enemies you see today, you shall never see again. And they got excited about that. They got to the other side and they started singing. And the women with Miriam, the head leader, woman leader of Israel at that time, came out and grabbed her tambourines and she started dancing before the Lord, hitting those tambourines. You died, we win. You died, we win. And she went forth. I don't know what she exactly sang there. That wasn't really like the song she sang. I guess you knew that. But uh, she sang that song and everybody rejoiced as they watched their enemies be destroyed at the Red Sea. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing to think about. But when they got out into the wilderness, three days, they got stuck in the wilderness. I want you to understand this, the theology of the Old Testament, how it relates to your life. But when they got into the wilderness, they got stuck in the wilderness. See, coming out of Egypt and going into the wilderness, that's easy. That's easy. But coming out of the wilderness and going into the promised land, that's hard. That's hard. That's not so easy to get into your promised land. And the reason it's so difficult is because the journey from the wilderness into the promised land is having victory over your flesh and victory over your thinking. And that's a battle. That's a real battle for all of us to have that kind of victory in our life. And that's why they complained and they murmured and they were fearful and they were tired and they were negative and they distrusted. See, they were saved, but they were not liberated. They were not liberated in their spirit. See, when God saved your spirit, that was easy. You believed and he did all the work. But the truth of the matter is, Winning the battle over your flesh and your mind is much harder than getting saved. That's the battle you're in today. That's Old Testament theology and applied to the New Testament as well. Now, one thing that helped me here, practically speaking, about six months ago, I sat down 
with one of my deacons. We had lunch, and he told me something that I started taking notes on my napkin because I said, that's going to be helpful to me one day, and I'm going to share that with my, my church one day. And so what exactly happened at that luncheon was he gave me this formula that somebody took the Old Testament wilderness wanderings all the way from Exodus chapter 16 through the end of the book of Numbers, and they saw a theme of four things going on there that put people into destructive behaviors and put people into relapse. As a matter of fact, whoever did this study, they used it for addiction centers, and a lot of addiction centers use it today. It, 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 it is a way to deal with these kind of struggles or even stress management. It was just beautiful to see. Uh, how do you deal with disgruntledness, complaining, and arguing? And if you're not careful in your life, you'll relapse into some unhealthy behaviors. Now, there's 14 murmurings from Exodus all the way to the end of Numbers that are recorded, 14 of them. There's 11 only in the book of Numbers. And the reason there's 11 in the book of Numbers is because the number 11 in Hebrew represents disorder, unrest, and division. Uh, understand that a little. Anytime you see the word 11 in the Bible, know that there's disorder or disrest coming. For example, there was 12 disciples, and then after Jesus was crucified and Judas hung himself, there was 11 disciples. And now with 11 disciples, until they replace them, there is disorder and unrest and division among the disciples. So that's how you'd want to interpret the Bible when you understand some numbers in the Bible. Now, this little formula that he gave me is a simple little test you can use to prevent destructive behavior. You can even use it for stress management. Here's what it's called. It's called HALT. H-A-L-T. So as this deacon was sharing this with me, I got a napkin there in the restaurant, and I'm writing down this outline, and I'm saying, I'm going to preach that one day. And I'm going to use that one day because it's so practical and it's so simple, but it's so helpful for our lives. So I outlined it around this, even though this isn't unique to me. There are four warning signs to heed before things reach a breaking point in your life. I want to give you these four warning signs because they're the themes of all the wilderness wanderings, and they break down into these four things. Okay, here they are. Ready? Number one, am I hungry? Am I hungry? <laughs> That's a simple one, but that is so good. Because of all the murmurings through Exodus and Numbers that are mentioned there, hunger is mentioned the most. Hunger is mentioned the most. Am I hungry? Now, hunger in this text is clearly physical. The need to eat is fairly straightforward. All of us have this need. But there's something about this. If you're hungry... You're on the verge of making a mistake. You're on the verge of a relapse. You're on the verge of destructive behavior. I remember when I was in seminary, we had this one guy going through seminary, and he wasn't getting married until after the first year of seminary. And so he would watch the married couple guys like me in seminary, and he'd watch how we handled our wives. And he came up to me one day, and he said, we've been watching you for a while, my fiance and I, and we, we've learned a few things we're going to do different. I said, oh, really, what's that? And he said, one of the things we're going to do is... When, when I come home at night at 5 o'clock, 
I'm going to sit on the couch with my sit down on the couch with my wife, and we're going to talk for 30 minutes about our day before we do anything else, and we're going to do that every day. So that's a great idea, but I recommend you eat first. Because everybody knows this, right? You aren't you when you're hungry. You aren't you when you're hungry. You know that. And when you're going to make mistakes is when you're hungry. You aren't you. He came back to me a month, a month after, and he said, you're right, we're eating first now. Why is that? Because there's something about being hungry. You're irritable, you're cranky, you say things you shouldn't say, and the best thing to do is, is halt for a minute. Say, so, you know what, I'm hungry right now, and I'm about to make some kind of mistake in this marriage, in this relationship, or wherever it is in your life, and, and it's just a simple thing, but it's, it's really worth thinking about. Okay, this, the writer of this one goes on, they use this in addiction centers, and they go a little further with this, so I want to add this in because I think it's good enough to say. Emotional hunger is important to think about too. Am I emotionally hungry? That's even better in my mind. Emotional hunger is the need for affection, the need for accomplishment, and the need for understanding. This is, this is why our support system of those we care for and love, we need to be able to reach out to when we're emotionally hungry. How desperate we all get when we're emotionally hungry. And we make some bad moves when we're emotionally hungry. But if you can find someone in your life that loves you and cares about you, I promise you this, there'll be food to the heart. Some of you, I think, starve emotionally because you have no food for your heart. All right, that's the first one. Am I hungry? Let's go on. Number two, am I angry? Am I angry? And I gave you some of the verses that you can find in these throughout the scriptures here. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the other three, but I'm only going to deal with number one. I was going to do all four, but there's no way I would have time, and I want to keep this kind of relaxed from my perspective. But am I angry? Okay, that's the second one. Okay, what you do in this case is you take the time to understand what is causing your anger. What is, what is fueling it? Why am I so angry about this? What's fueling inside of me that, that I, I've got to get angry about this? So you start to think about what is causing that, what's fueling your anger, what's driving your anger right now. And then the second thing is you learn how to express it properly in constructive emotion, not destructive emotion. Destructive emotion says this, bury it. Some of you are really good at burying your anger. You just stuff it inside of you, and you're a stuffer, and you put things down in there and down in there and down in there, and you know over time that doesn't work because they come up at the worst possible time, and you've got to stop and ask yourself, am I angry? Destructive emotion says bury it. You can't bury things, Okay? Also, a destructive emotion says, just let it rip, let it go, just dump on people. Both of those, the Bible says, are wrong. Do you know the Bible says, be angry? It commands you to be angry and sin not. So a person who stuffs their emotion is angry, but they're sinning by stuffing it. And a person who dumps it is letting their anger out, they're being angry, but they're not doing it in a way that honors the Lord and they're sinning as well. Those are destructive ways to dump and stuff. 
All right? And so you can't bury it. You can't let it get out of control. Now, I'm not going to go into a deep one here. I just want you to hear the last bit of advice here on am I angry. Some people use exercise to deal with their anger. Some people punch pillows. I know members in our church who punch pillows. Some people clean. Some people paint on canvases. Some people listen to music. Some people write out their feelings in journals. So there's all kinds of ways to really deal with your anger before you get to the point of, of messing up with your halt. All right, for me... Meditation and prayer helps calm me down right after I have a pillow and eat one of these, all right? Well, I got to eat one of these. Right? That really helps. I got them all over the office, all right? Okay, that's am I angry. That's all I'm going to say there. Number three, am I lonely? Am I lonely? Wow, I was amazed at how many people in the wilderness were lonely. You ever get in a desert and feel lonely in relationships? Am I lonely? Most people feel lonely. That's normal. Okay, but the problem is when we isolate ourselves, when we don't feel like others can understand us, so we pull away. That's where the danger comes in. And so you have to ask yourself, am I lonely? Now, we withdraw for all kinds of reasons. We draw out of fear or maybe doubt or hurt, whatever it may be. But ask yourself, am I feeling lonely? Just halt. Just halt. Am I feeling lonely? Because you could make some bad decisions feeling lonely. Halt and ask yourself. There's one, one suggestion this article had was, who have you reached out to to help them? One of the best ways to deal with your loneliness is to reach out to someone else who's hurting. I found that an interesting comment. Reach out to, have you reached out to anyone lately? But the other side of it is, who is your support system? Who is your support system when you get lonely? Someone you need to talk to. Call a friend, visit a loved one. Reach out to someone who wants to see you happy and healthy. That is, that is so important. Now, if you call me because you get really, really lonely and nobody else will listen to you, just bring one of these. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll listen to you, okay? All right, that's number three, uh, lonely. I'm not going to say more about that one. T, am I tired? Am I tired? This is probably a great one to ask yourself sometimes. How many times uh, Moses got tired in what he was doing? Now, here's the thing with us. When our days are filled with endless tasks, it's easy to ignore how tired we're actually getting. And, and, and it can become very unhealthy. Because when, you when you're tired, you don't think well or cope well in life. So take time to halt. Just take time to halt. Listen, the older I've got, the more I realize I have to do this. I never used to take naps. I love a good nap now. I mean, uh, my, my, my day off is Friday, and I'll try to do, I, I used to be able to do 100 things in the morning and 100 things in the afternoon and get everything I wanted to get done uh, around the house and stuff. Man, I can't even cut that list in half like I used to. It, it's, it's so much less now. But you know what happens? Two o'clock hits. I don't know if it's the lunch or whatever. I've got to take a nap, a leisurely nap. I am amazed how that completely could change my perspective, just 30 to 45 minutes to an hour or so, whatever, you know, in a nap. It's just amazing to me how simple that one is. But some of you, you really need to sleep. You, you really need to rest. You need to rejuvenate. That may be all you need to change your outlook for that day or on the next day. I'm amazed. I think God has put something in that, that there's a wisdom there. 
going for a walk, listening to music, a nice restaurant, recharging your spirit. This will help maintain moments of sobriety. You know why? Because you're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. But you're trying to act like it. And you're making a huge mistake. My daughter has a little sign on her window in her kitchen. Kids will far more remember how you make them feel than what you said. Kids will far more remember how you make them feel than what you said. That's good advice. That's HALT. HALT reminds us to take care of our basic needs every day. Pay close attention to your needs and your feelings, and it will help prevent destructive behavior or relapses or anything in your life that, that needs to be just HALT. So just take a moment each day and check in with yourself. Just check in with yourself. I think it's very wise. Now, the one I wanted to deal with was hunger. That was the one in the text that I read. So I just thought I'd take a few moments to deal with this this morning and just have you kind of capture what I'm trying to say here, okay? Um, When God first provided manna, the word means in the Hebrew, what is it? We don't even know what it is. It's this floating bread that came down out of heaven. And they just called it, what is it? It was God's manna. It was bread from heaven. And when they first got that, they were so excited. It's a miracle. There's bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. God is so wonderful. Look what God has done. That is just beautiful. And they went a little longer and said, this is wonderful what God has done. Oh, God, you provide so much for us. And they went on a little longer and they said, well, it's good. Next day, it's okay. Next day, You want me to eat it, I'll I'll eat it. Next day, y'all got anything else to eat? We got to eat this again? And they got sick of it. They loathed, the Bible says, they loathed the manna. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? What do you do when what God gives you, you don't want it? See, their bodies came out of Egypt, but their minds didn't. That's what I'm trying to drive home to you today. They were physically liberated, but mentally they were still bound up. They started talking about it. And I'm not going to read this. I just want to read this. You don't even need to turn there. Numbers 11. They started talking about all the things they remembered back in Egypt. And the list goes on and on. This is their constant reference back to Egypt. It said in verse 5, we remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt. We remember the cucumber and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at except this manna. They got sick of it. It's funny how you leave something and it isn't long till it looks better. The good old days. The good old days. I like to call it selective amnesia. They remember some things about their past, but they forget some major things about their past. Oh, the good old days. Oh, it was wonderful back then. But they forgot a whole lot of other stuff they didn't tell you about because it's selective amnesia. They only remember what they really want to remember. They forgot about the fact they're making bricks without any straw. They forgot about the fact they're getting beat every day and raped 
and abused. They forgot about that. They forgot about the fact that they were slaves in Egypt. And all they could remember was dinner. Oh, the dinner was so good back there. You were slaves. You were being beat, but that's all they could remember. <laughs> now, in 2014, I preached a message. I'm going to refry this message with you because I want to tell you something. 2014, if you weren't here, if you were here, I hope you remember it, but if you weren't, I'm telling you something. I've had more people tell me just in the last three months that was one of my best messages. I went and pulled that out the other day, and I thought, this was one of my best messages? I, just, I was like completely surprised, but it stuck with people, and it dawned on me, i got to throw that back out there again, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw it back out there again, and here I want you to get this so you understand selective amnesia, all right? Has anyone ever taught you the 80-20 rule? The 80-20 rule. Basically, it covers what you have and you don't have in life. What you have and what you don't have. In other words, nothing in life is 100% what you want it to be. Nothing in life is 100% of what you want it to be. Now think that through. That's, that's just a very good, very good observation on life. I went back to try to find my source on that and I couldn't. But your spouse will never give you 100% satisfaction. Your kids will never give you 100% satisfaction. Your job will never give you 100% satisfaction. Nothing tangible in life is 100%. Nothing is 100%. No one will ever have enough or be enough or do enough to be able to offer you what it is you were most meant to receive. There's no one and there's nothing that can give you 100%. God has designed life. Remember the devotion I started with. God has designed life that life cannot give you complete satisfaction. And whoever came up with this, this is great stuff. All anyone can ever do for you is give you about 80% satisfaction. All anything can do for you in life is give you about 80% satisfaction. And most of your life is spent walking in 80% satisfaction, not quite 100%. Lock that into your heart. If you forget everything else I said in this message, do not forget that. The problem is, once you get the 80, the 20% starts looking better. So you're enjoying the 80, but pretty soon you're thinking to yourself, yeah, this is good. This is bread from heaven. God gave me this person. God gave me this thing. Oh, this is wonderful. This is good. This is wonderful. It's okay. Eh, I've had better. Got anything else? Because God's only put 80% in that person. God's only put 80% in that thing. You don't think so. You think there's 100 out there, but there is none. There's no hundred, all right? So the 20% starts looking bigger than the 
And that's when it gets dangerous in your life because you forget what you are getting with the 80 and all you can think about is the 20. And you start focusing on what you're not getting. The 20. The 20. And the 20 becomes bigger than the 80%. It sounds like something like this. When I got married, we were soulmates. Then we went to rollmates. Then we went to roommates. What happened? All you're going to get out of that marriage is 80%. I don't care whose marriage it is in here, 80% is all you're going to get out of it. I know you don't think so. I know you don't think so, but that's the most you'll get out of your marriage. And so when you're only getting 80%, all you can do sometimes is focus on the 20%. And invariably, someone will always come along and offer you 20 And the dangerous thing is, is you reach out for the 20 and leave the 80. People leave this church for 20%. Because all we can give you at this church is 80%. Now, you know you think there's something out there that's going to give you more, but I promise you, it's only going to give you 80 at best and most likely 20. I know you don't believe that. Listen, I have been here 24 years. And you know why I haven't left? Because I've learned the 80-20 rule. That's the only reason I haven't left this church. And the fact that I believe God wants me here at this church, that's for sure. But I just want you to understand this. There's always somebody out there offering me 100. I've been offered job after job after job in 24 years. That Would you leave that church and come here? Would you take over this ministry? Hey, would you run this department in the college? Hey, would you do this? Hey, would you travel for us? And they offer me 100%. What's it going to be like? It's going to be great. More people? Yeah, more people. More money? Yeah, more money. More opportunities? Yeah, yeah, more opportunities. And so I get my eye. I get my eye on the 100. And I lose sight of the fact that I'm only going to get 80 out of that church too. That's why I've been here 24 years. Because the first time I got burned, I woke up. My first job as a full-time youth pastor. Now, some people have gone to that church so, that are in this service, so I want to be careful what I say. But let me tell you something. When I went up there to Wisconsin, they wined and dined me. They took me and put me in the nicest hotel. They said I was going to be the best youth pastor they ever had. They took me all around. They took me to the, uh, where did they take me in Milwaukee? To the downtown mall, if you've ever seen the downtown mall in Milwaukee. And, uh, and they took me, and they wined and dined me. And they said, you're going to like this place. Almost what they were saying is, it's 100%. And I believed it. I believed it. I took it hook, line, and sinker. And I got into that job, and I say this with all due respect, it didn't even hit the 80 that's not funny, you know, Phil. <laughs> Didn't even hit the 80. And I learned that day, there's no 100. There's no 100. And it has carved out my life. 
It has carved out my life. And I know some of you don't believe that about your own situation, but the truth of the matter is, I know people who leave a good woman for 20%. I know people who leave a good husband for 20%. They get frustrated, and they want the 20 You say, I'm tired of not having the 20. And you grab the 20 and you leave the 80. And you wake up with the 20 one day and you look them in the eyes and you say, who are you? Who are you? What have I done? What have I done? You traded the 80 for the 20. That's what you did. I'm going to give you a little side advice too, okay, because I'm about done. The next one, sometimes someone comes up into your face and tells you two or three things you ain't doing right, all right? And you're doing 80 other things. You just look at them and say, 80-20, baby, 80-20. That's the best advice I could give you here today. The 20% is that man, that woman, that job, that boat, that car, they're all offering you 100. What you're going to find out is half the time, they're 20. Now, what am I saying in this message? Don't get stuck in your wilderness. Don't get stuck in your wilderness. 20% is trying to kidnap and steal your heart. And if you are in a wilderness and you are in a desert, I want to promise you this. God is there with you. That's one thing I want to say before I close. God is there with you. But don't get stuck in your wilderness. I know sometimes you feel like you're going nowhere. But I'm telling you, just like that, God can take you from nowhere to somewhere. And it can happen so quickly, it can happen at a rapid speed that you need not be troubled by the years of your testing and your trials. Because the truth of the matter is, once God moves you to the forefront, I promise you this, once he moves you to the forefront, you'll never be ignored again. But you've got to trust him for that. Don't get stuck in your wilderness. Let's pray. Praise team is going to come, lead us in a song. Just your heads bowed, eyes closed. I know the Spirit of God's moving and speaking in each of your hearts right now, but because He has mine in a fresh and new way this week. I'm not looking for a specific altar call. I'm just looking for you to wake up, open your eyes. There's no hundred. You'll never find it. And if you even get close to 80, you've got a good life with whatever you got. But don't be fooled. There's no 20. It's going to give you the longing of your soul. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 19 that heavens of God, or the, the earth declares the glory of God. See, it just points. It's just a sign. Everything here on this earth is just a sign. 
to point you to something better. A relationship with Christ, entering into that relationship, eking out the 80s, you can get them wherever you can get them, but knowing they can never satisfy. Father, I pray you speak to hearts here today. Each one in this room, the things where their heart and their mind went, and the Spirit of God lead them. I lift them up to you. I pray your blessing over them. I pray your care, and I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us in this song. Of course, the altar's open if there's a need in your heart today. Let's worship together as we close out this service today.